This is the Mahabharata Podcast, Episode 72, Killing Alambusha. Last time, we took a brief hiatus from the war. The news and reaction to Abhimanyu's death had everyone worked up, and so the drama went on all night as they alternately mourned the boy's death and plotted revenge. One might wonder, with all the culprits involved in the ambush of Abhimanyu, why did Arjun choose Jayadrata as the one to blame? We might have thought that the kid who killed him, Dushasan's son, or at least the grown-ups who plotted and carried out the ambush, Drona and Karna, would have been the focus of Arjun's ire. But instead, Arjun seemed to put all the blame on Jayadrata, the one guy who wasn't even there when Abhimanyu was killed. This would seem to be a good question, but I think it leaves out the mechanics of the conflict, which the author takes great care in maintaining. Basically, I believe there are two necessities in this war. First, the Pandavas must beat the Kauravas, but only by a little bit. Secondly, every feud must be settled correctly. On this first point, this means that every loss on the Kaurava side must be met by similar but slightly lesser loss on the Pandava side. Thus, if you are keeping score, the Kauravas seem to win once for every two days that the Pandavas come out ahead. The Kauravas sacrificed Bhishma and the Trigartas, and in return, they earned the capture of Yudhishthira. To avoid capture, the Pandavas gave up their heir to the throne, Abhimanyu. In order to survive the Kaurava's continued sacrifices of men and heroes, the Pandavas will be required to trade in more of their sons in exchange. Thus, it seems Abhimanyu's life is a necessary contribution in the economy of this increasingly gruesome exchange. The other incontrovertible rule in this war is that each of the Pandavas has a specific score to settle with each of the Kauravas. Back when the war started, the Pandavas partitioned out who would kill whom. Going back to the odes of the dice game and even further back to the birth of Dhristadyumna, certain characters on the Kaurava side have been earmarked for one or another Pandava's revenge. For example, Duryodhana and his brothers all belong to Bhim. No one else may kill them. Drona is specifically targeted by Dhristadyumna, and we know that Karna and Arjun are destined for a final showdown. Thus, when Arjun was looking for someone to get revenge on, he had to cross certain names off his list. These guys have already made their appointments with destiny. Among the perpetrators, this only left him to choose from Dishasani or Jayadrata. An uncle killing his nephew seems a bit unheroic, so it is much better for him to take out his ire on his odious kinsman Jayadrata. Besides, I imagine the Pandavas have been waiting a long time to kill this malicious little man. If you recall, Yudhishthira made his brothers spare his life because they were related by marriage. Now that they have divine sanction to kill their own blood relations, it is a perfect opportunity to settle an old score with the wretched King Jayadrata. Before Sanjay began his description for the 14th day of the war, King Dhritarashtra interrupted him and began once again to lament his bad fortune and the doomed fate of his sons. As he often did in the past, he blamed his rotten son and the cruelty of fate. Sanjay was having none of it. He heard the old man out and then castigated his master for his self-deception. He said, Your Majesty, your lamentations are pointless. If you had forbidden the dice game, or had sued for peace, or had at least reigned in your sons, none of this would have come to pass. Despite your deep wisdom, you broke forever what binds the world, and let Duryodhana, Karna, and Shakuni pull it apart. Now, listen if you can to the story of your own downfall. With these words, Sanjay resumed his narration of the battle. It seems that, while the Pandavas experienced a very emotional night, the Karavas also felt a wide swing of emotions. At first, they felt triumphant over the fall of Abhimanyu. Then, they began to fear what Arjun might do in retaliation. 
News of Arjun's oath gave them fresh hope that maybe they had landed on a final solution to their problems. But as day broke and both sides prepared for battle, they once again began to fear what kind of retribution would be brought down on them. Of course, Jayarata was crapping his pants with anxiety. To pacify him somewhat, Drona assigned Karna, Ashvataman, Shalya, and Kripa, along with 100 companies of horse, 6 legions of chariot fighters, 14,000 elephants, and 21,000 men-at-arms. This vast bodyguard was directed to withdraw behind the main army to protect Jayadrata at all cost. Drona arrayed the rest of the army in the shape of an Aram lily, or what we call an Easter lily. The shape of this white flower is that of a single petal that wraps around the long yellow stamen. Thus, Jayadratha's guard was at the bulb at the very base of the lily, and Arjun would have to somehow traverse the entire enemy force just to get a glimpse of his prey. The heavenly observers felt that in normal circumstances, this glorious array would be sufficient to conquer the whole world. But despite this, the Karvas kept noticing evil omens. They tried to ignore these dark thoughts, but still terror welled up in their hearts. I suppose the Pandavas assumed a more conventional formation because we are only told that Arjun took up his position at the very front of the army. Then he and Krishna both gave a mighty blast on their conches, and the Karvas felt their hair stand on end, while their horses and elephants all pissed and shat themselves in one foul-smelling explosion. But there was no time for a change of underwear, because Arjun charged against his opponents, followed by the rest of his army, all baying for blood. Arjun hit his enemies with an explosion of severed body parts, blood, and gore. Dushasan led a herd of elephants against him, but soon the animals were all killed by Arjun's arrows, and the Karva fled the field. Having broken through the first line, Arjun now came across Drona and his personal guard. Before attacking, Arjun stopped his chariot and bowed to his teacher. He said, O holy Brahmin, I ask your leave to cross your line. I entreat you to look on me as your own son. So, with your leave, allow me to pass, so I may put the king of sin to death. Perhaps because of Drona's caste, he was not nearly as gallant as Bhishma had been toward his worthy foe. Drona merely said, Jayadratha will not be yours unless you take him from me. Then he laughed and showered Arjun with the cruel rain of arrows. Arjun defended himself, but concentrated his attack on Drona's supporters. As he liquidated Drona's force, Drona continued to attack. First he cut Arjun's bowstring and then hit him square in the chest with an arrow. Krishna could see that this was turning into a major distraction, so he warned his friend, Partha, time's a-wasting. Forget about Drona and let's return to the job at hand. As Arjun turned to leave, Drona shot him a few more times and complained, What's this? You turn your back on an opponent who still lives? Arjun called back, O oh master, you are not my opponent. I am your disciple. Consider me your son. I know of no one who can beat you. Arjun then rode off to fight with others, while Drona tried to pursue him and draw him back into the fight. Meanwhile, Arjun was fighting with the king Kritavarman and Shruta Yudha. We have not heard much of Shruta Yudha, but now we are told that this otherwise unremarkable king had a secret weapon. It turns out that Shruta Yudha was the son of the river goddess Parnas and the god Varuna. Out of concern for her son's safety, Parnash begged the boy's father to give him some kind of protection. Varuna gave the boy a magic cudgel, which would render him invincible. There was only one caveat. His father warned him never to use it against an unarmed man, lest the blow bounce back on him. I guess old Shrutiyuda forgot this warning, because stupidly, as he rode past Arjun's chariot, he struck Krishna on the shoulder. As you might expect, the cudgel rebounded back at Varuna's son and killed him. Arjun did not pause for a second. 
he just pressed on with his fight with the Kambojas. A pair of these heroes got in a couple of lucky blows, however. One of them hit Arjun with the heavy spear while simultaneously the other hit him with an arrow. Arjun lost his senses at the blow and dropped to one knee. The Karvas all cheered and deluged him in arrows. Krishna nearly swooned out of sympathetic feelings for his friend, but then, out of the cloud of arrows, Arjun suddenly sprang back as if bounced out of Yama's realm. Standing straight, Arjun launched Indra's thunderbolt. The explosion killed his tormentors along with hundreds of others who happened to be standing in the vicinity. Arjun then moved on and proceeded to decimate the army of the Angas. Meanwhile, Duryodhana watched the front half of his formation in shambles and began to worry that Arjun might in fact reach his objective before sunset. He rode up to Drona and complained, saying, None of us ever dreamed that Arjun would break past you so easily, and yet here you are, standing around, scratching your bum. Why is it that my army no longer serves me? I'm aware that you would like nothing better than to see their side win, but I just can't figure you out. I have provided you with a fine life of comfort and riches, and I have loved you like a father. But despite my devotions, you hate me in return. You plot with them even as you take food at my table. It was at your assurances that I did not allow Jayadrata to run for home. I promised him he would be protected, but now he looks doomed to die. I beg you, protect the king of Sindh. Drona replied, You will not provoke me. You are as dear to me as my son. Now let me speak plainly. Krishna is a great charioteer, and the speed of his horses is such that old men like me cannot keep up. But recall that I swore to take Yudhishthira captive. Arjuna's great speed has taken him far from his companions. Now he stands alone in our midst, and his brother stands unprotected. My mission is at the front, and Arjun is not my concern. You're no slouch at warfare either, so while I capture their king, why don't you go fight Arjun? I'm confident you can do it. Duryodhana said, Wait a minute, you taught me everything I know, but still you cannot stop him, so how do you expect me to beat him? Drona then produced a magic suit of golden armor and said, Put this on and it will withstand anything Arjun can throw at you. Now go out there and kick some butt. As the Brahmin blessed the suit of armor, he explained that this same armor had once been a gift from Brahma to the god Indra. The spell had been passed on from sage to sage until finally Drona learned of it. Why he did not give this to Bhishma back when he needed it is not explained. While Duryodhana rode off to confront Arjun, the action followed Drona's assault to the Pandava's main body. A fierce fight then broke out as Dristadyumna and Satyaki both defended Yudhishthira from Drona's grasp. After much struggle, Dristadyumna was pushed aside, but then the duel with Satyaki reached epic proportions. At one point, Drona was nearly beat, but he saved himself by launching a magic arrow of fire. Satyaki knew this trick, however, and in return he fired off an arrow of water. The two struck in mid-flight, dousing the whole field in a thick fog. Meanwhile, the sun was approaching the western horizon, and Arjun was not anywhere near his object. In addition, the horses were quite exhausted. Arjun said, The horses are tired and wounded, and Jayadrata is still a ways off. One thing is certain, the horses must be unyoked and allowed to rest, so I will hold back the horde while you mind the horses. Krishna agreed, and they stopped the chariot and Arjun climbed down. Their enemies could not believe their luck. Arjun had willingly surrendered his mobility while surrounded by his foes. Despite their tactical advantage, Arjun held them all off as Krishna tended to the horses. Krishna observed that the horses really needed a drink of water. Arjun nodded, then struck the earth with an arrow. What appeared was a clear, peaceful pond, complete with lotus flowers, turtles, and fish. 
Even the sage Narada took a seat at its shores to enjoy the waters. Drawing on his bottomless quiver, Arjun used the arrows to build a nice wooden corral for the horses, including a roof to shelter them from the sun. Even Krishna was impressed with this. Being most skilled in all matters concerning livestock, he comforted the horses and healed them of the worst of their wounds. Meanwhile, Arjun, on foot and armed only with his bow and arrows, was able to fend off the attacks of all of his enemies combined. Everyone was mightily impressed with that. Sanjay said, Despite themselves, the Karvas were mesmerized by the pair's courage. Has there ever been a spectacle as strange as Partha and Govinda stabling their horses on the battlefield? All we could do was blink our eyes in astonishment. As casually as if sheltered peacefully in his own palace walls, Krishna finished up with the horses, yoked them back to the chariot, and the pair resumed their positions on the cart. Duryodhana yelled at his generals, We must stop them and be quick about it. They will soon reach Jayadratha if we don't do something. We are told that the spectacle made a different impression on the Karva allies, however. They all realized that the outcome of this conflict was preordained and they were screwed. Few of them held out any hope that Jayadrata would live to see the next day. But then the Karva army seemed to open up and make way for a giant of a man, clad from head to toe in golden armor. Arjun found himself facing his cousin. Duryodhana laughed then, saying, Arjun, if Pandu is indeed your father, let's see what you've got. Use all your magic and strength, Krishna too, and let's see what you're made of. The Karva accompanied those words with a rain of arrows that bit into Arjun's flesh, knocked Krishna's whip to the ground, and struck their horses. Arjun returned fire with 14 arrows of his own, but they all bounced harmlessly off Duryodhana's armor. Krishna asked, What's the matter? Are you sending love letters to your cousin? I thought your arrows were unstoppable. Arjun seemed a bit annoyed at this. He replied, This is Drona's work. He has clad Duryodhana in armor made by Brahma himself. Not even Indra's thunderbolt could penetrate that. But why are you pretending not to know this? None of this could transpire without your knowledge. Duryodhana is cocky, but he doesn't know what to do with himself. He just stands there showing off his armor like a girl with a new dress. But even that armor has its limitations. Arjun then endowed his arrows with an especially powerful mantra and sent them flying at his cousin's armor. But before they could do their damage, Drona's son Ashvataman shot them out of the sky. This was too bad, because the potency of Arjun's spell was such that he could not safely use it twice. As for Duryodhana, when he saw those charged arrows deflected harmlessly, he thought himself immortal and did a little victory jig while his supporters cheered him on. But not everything could be protected by this armor, so Arjun took another approach. Carefully aiming each arrow, he beheaded his cousin's horses, shattered his bow, and then dismantled his chariot. Finally, he struck Duryodhana's unprotected hands. The rest of the Karva soon realized that their prince was not nearly so safe as they had assumed, so they rushed in to engulf Arjun and protect their leader. Meanwhile, Drona stuck to his own mission to kidnap the Pandava king. He broke past Setyaki and dueled directly with Yudhishthira. The Dharmaraja managed to get in a few good blows, but old Drona shattered his chariot from beneath him. Yudhishthira struggled from the wreckage, pushing aside his dead horses and driver, then looked up and saw Drona rushing at him, ready to pull him up into his own chariot. But just then, Sahadev came speeding by and snatched his brother from Drona's grasp. Drona had missed his chance, because now Setyaki was sowing chaos among his own people, so he was forced to break off and attend to that. Elsewhere, Bhima found himself under magical attack by Rishyashringa's demonic son, Alambusha. 
At first, he fought fairly, but when Beam got him into a headlock, the demon told him that Baka had been his brother. See episode 9. This means Hidimba must have been his sister and Gato Kacha his nephew. Before Beam could react to this revelation, Alambusha turned into a bee and flew off. The demon did not let off his attack, however. He just stepped it up with a burst of magic spells. The demon was causing tremendous damage and Beam could not lay hands on him, so Gato Kacha joined in to help his father out. Being equally magical, the demonic uncle and nephew were well matched. The pair fought with magic, with weapons, and hand-to-hand. -hand. They fought in the air and on the ground. Although Gato Kacha struggled with this foe, he was helped out by his Pandava relations, who kept up a steady volley of arrows. Finally, Alambusha was weakened enough that Beam's son got a good hold on him. Finding a large stone, he smashed Alambusha's head into it, shattering it and killing him in a single blow. The foul Nightwalker was dead. Amidst the cheering of soldiers at the death of this scary demon, Yudhishthira heard a different sound. He heard the sound of Arjun and Krishna's conches being blown. He found the sound of that to be deeply disturbing. He had the premonition that the two Krishnas must be in trouble. Suddenly worried, he summoned Satyaki and asked him to fight his way through and help Arjun with whatever trouble he was in. Satyaki first tried to reassure Yudhishthira, but the worry became contagious. Yudhishthira assured him that as long as Dristyumna was around, they need not worry for the king's safety. Now convinced, Satyiki set out to find his lost kinsmen on the other side of the battlefield. He crashed into the enemy lines and was soon swallowed up by the vast horde. With Satyiki away, things began to go badly for the Pandavas. They were repeatedly beaten back by Drona and his cronies, and still there was no word from either Satyiki or Arjun. The Pandavas and Panchalis fought desperately to hold things together, and Yudhishthira's fear became more intense. He became frantic when he once again heard the blow of a familiar conch. It was the Panchanjanya, Krishna's conch, now sounding by itself. Yudhishthira heard an urgency to this sound and took it to mean that Arjun had fallen in battle and now Krishna was fighting alone and surrounded. The Dharmaraja summoned Bhima. Bhim tried to reassure his brother that nothing could go wrong with Krishna on their side, but the fear was contagious. Once again, both of them heard Krishna's solo horn blowing urgently. That was enough for the impetuous Bhimasena. He mounted a fresh chariot and headed off to break through the Karva line and rescue his brother and kinsman. That's all for now. I've tried to keep a day's fighting to at least one episode, but day 14 is the longest day of the war. In addition, Vyasa has left us with the most perfect cliffhanger. Next time, we'll find out the fates of Bhima, Setyaki, and the rescue mission for Krishna and Arjun. Will Jayadrata be killed by sunset? Find out next time. Thanks for listening.